If you want to open your Bibles this morning, we'll have scriptures on the screen, but Isaiah 64, there's a great parallel in Isaiah 64 between Israel in the day that Isaiah wrote this passage and America today. There's an amazing, amazing similarity. And as we go through this, this chapter, we're going to go through it, you're going to see uh, the amazing parallel, but then you're also going to see God's answer in troubled and desperate times. I remember a few years ago, we were having marvelous Mondays at Cottage Hill Baptist Church. We'd have four Sundays in August, and we had some wonderful men of God. We had Charles Stanley and Adrian Rogers and Stephen Olford, and on and on I could go. But I remember we had one Monday night, Cal Thomas. He is a syndicated columnist, a genuine follower of Jesus, very knowledgeable in his Christian faith, and very strong in his defense of the gospel of Christ, and very strong, and he's still on uh, television from time to time. I saw him recently, still writing his column. But he was speaking that night, 30 years ago. And I was sitting on the front row, and he, and, he, and he startled me. He said, you know, there's never been a greater time to be alive than today. It's never been a greater time to be a Christian than right now. He said, this is the most wonderful opportunity for the people of God that we've experienced. And I was sitting there thinking, this guy is on another planet. I mean, come on. Has he not listened to the news lately? We were in the battle of humanism back then, 30 years ago, the battle of, of, of abortion and all that kind of stuff. But he said, let me tell you why. He said, let me tell you why it's a great time to be a Christian. Because the humanists came along and said, this is what will make America great. And this is where you'll find freedom. It's in humanism. Now, all humanism is another name for atheism. Humanism manifesto, humanist manifesto number one and number two, they make a number of statements that have really affected our nation. One was that no deity will save us. We must save ourselves. What a joke. But another thing they said that we're living under the influence right now, and it's been taught in our colleges and schools for the last 30 years, is called situational ethics. That they're, 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 they're teaching as humanists is, and by the way, it is a religion, that there are no moral absolutes, none. That the situation determines if something's right or wrong. It may not always be wrong to lie. The situation would determine. They said any sexual, sexual conduct, conduct between two consenting adults is not wrong. It depends on them and the situation. And so this situational ethics has just eaten up America. And by the way, at this last poll I heard, 65% of Americans do not believe that they're moral absolutes. How did we get there? I'll tell you how I got there. So he said, you know, uh, humanism is present. And he said, it's a, it's a battle. He said, but it's a great time to be alive because humanism has failed. It's failed. And then he went on and said, you know, another reason it's a great Christian way to be alive is because uh, materialism has failed. 
the Americans thought if they had the right car, lived in the right house, had the right clothes, that they would be prosper and the American dream would make, their happy, make them happy. He said, but it's failed. So, so materialism has failed. Humanism has failed. And he said, by the way, lifeless religion has failed. Dead, lifeless religion. He said, it's failed. And so now it is time for the true church of Jesus Christ to rise up and to be the people of God. And I said, okay. He said, so now the church needs to step up. By the way, that was the exact condition of Israel. I, I want you to look with me. Uh, in, the, in the book of Isaiah, 64. And you'll notice, first of all, that humanism had failed in Israel. It had absolutely failed. I want you to look down at chapter 64, and I want you to look uh, at verse, uh, verse 6. Look at what it says. Israel had been close to God. They'd followed God, but they'd gotten away from the word of God and in a sense had become humanists. And so look at the conclusion that Isaiah saw in Isaiah 64. But we are all like an unclean thing. And all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. I can hear the humanists say, no deity will save us. We must save ourselves. And here it says, well, listen, we're all as an unclean thing and all of our righteousness are filthy rags. We fade as a leaf. We fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Man, he said, look, we turned away from God and we've, we've sown to the wind and we've reaped the whirlwind and, and our iniquities have just taken us. We fade like a leaf and all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. So humanism had failed. But you read on and you find out that their religion, their lifeless religion had failed in Israel. Look at verse 10. Man, you're talking about in bad shape. It sounds like some of the religion in America. Your, your holy cities are a wilderness. Think of churches and religions. Your holy cities are a wilderness. Zion is a wilderness. Jerusalem is a desolation. My goodness. That was all the holy places of Israel. That was a place of worship. But the religion had become lifeless and mechanical and empty. It says, uh, and, and our holy and beautiful temple where our fathers praised you is burned up with fire. You know, in Israel, humanism had taken over and they were, their iniquities were just absolutely taking them away. And their religion had failed. All their holy places, all their ceremonies, all their rituals had absolutely no meaning. The Bible says that they were desolate. But by the way, you can look at verse 11 and it says that... Um, all our pleasant things are laid waste. Materialism had failed. They thought that house would make them happy. They thought the car would make them happy. They thought if they had a good bank account, they'd be happy. They were living the dream. But he said, you know, all the pleasant things that we placed our trust in have just been like a vapor that evaporated in our hand. And so here we are in America exactly in the same place Israel was. When Isaiah wrote chapter 64, we have seen that humanism has failed, led us down the path to iniquity. And you know the problem is, today we're calling wrong right and right wrong. Today we're calling darkness light and light darkness. Whoever dreamed we would see the wickedness and sin 
that is in, in the face of God every day. It's almost like America, not us, not us as believers, not the remnant, not the church, no, not the followers of Christ. Oh, no. No, I'm not talking about the people who fear God and the people who love God and the people who love the Word of God and people who follow the, the plan of Jesus. I'm not talking about them. But I'm talking about those who, whose heart is desperately wicked and deceitfully wicked. It's almost like they can't confront, put enough sin in the face of God. It's just like they're going to have to just continuously go from one wicked thing to another wicked thing to another wicked thing and just flaunt their sin in the face of God. And I'm going to tell you something. You don't do that. You really don't do that. And so we see the similarities and how that um, materialism has not made people happy. It hasn't done it. You know, I, I mean, it's just, it just not the answer. And so the materialism and the humanism and the lifeless religion, it is just a stench in the nostrils of God. But here's the thing. Isaiah saw how desperate it was. And he, he, he gave the most passionate most passionate prayer that I've ever read. I, I can, it's like I can hear him. I don't know where he was. He, he may be standing close to the ruins of the temple. I don't know where he was. It may have been in places where he had had an encounter with God in the past. But I want you to hear the cry of a desperate man. I want you to hear the cry of a man whose heart was broken, who saw the condition of his nation and saw the judgment of God. And he just began to cry out to God. He began to cry out to God. And I'm going to read it. And I, I feel his passion. And he says in verse 1, Oh Lord, Isaiah 64, 1. Oh Lord, that you would tear open the heavens. He says, God, just rend the heavens. Just rend the heavens. Lord, we need for you to come. Oh God, that you would tear open the heavens. That you would come down. Notice his prayer. It is all focused on God. He uses the word you and your about seven times in three verses. He said, God, I don't have any hope except in you. You're the only hope I have. I look at our nation. I look at it, Lord. All our, our, our righteousness is filthy rags. Our, our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And, 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 and I see our lifeless religion, Lord. And I see how that we, we trusted in things and they failed. And he said, God, I'm telling you, it's desperate, Lord. So, Lord, would you tear open the heavens? Would you come down? He said, God, I don't know. There's no other answer. He said, I've been preaching to these people for 59 chapters, 63 chapters. And here I am. And, and, and th th it's getting worse instead of better. He said, so, God, I'm just telling you where I'm at. He said, oh, Lord, would you tear open the heavens? Would you come down? That the mountains might shake at your presence. You see, what he's praying for is the presence of God. He says, oh God, we need your presence, Lord. There was a time when Israel lived in the fear of God. There was a time when Israel lived in, in an awesome awareness of the word of God. And there were blessings from God. He said, but Lord, you need to come down. He said, that the mountains might shake at your presence. We need your presence, O oh God. And then he goes on in verse 2 and says, As fire burns brushwood, and we know how dry brushwood burns. As fire burns brushwood, and as fire causes water to boil. God, we want you to come down to make 
your name known to your adversaries. Did you know that God has adversaries? Did you know that there are people that hate God? There are people that hate the Word of God. There are people that hate the people of God. Oh, yeah. They're, they're not just adversaries of God's children. They're adversaries of God. And he said, Lord, i tell you what you need to do. You just need to tear open the heavens and come down, and the mountains need to shake at your presence. And just like fire consumes everything it touches, it, it, it needs to make your name known to those that hate you. To make your name known to your adversaries. I like this. Verse 2, that the nations may tremble at your presence. You know, it seems like there's no fear of God in anybody today. There is a fear of God in God's children. You and I know the fear of the Lord. You know, the fear of the Lord. We live in, a, in, in the presence of an all-seeing, all-knowing, ever-present God. And our very, every thought, word, and deed is open before him and judged by him. See, we understand the fear of God. We live in the presence of holy God. And our every thought, word, act, and deed is open before him and is judged by him. So, but the fear of God had left, there was no fear of God in Israel. And I'm going to tell you something. There's, there's no fear of God among the people in, in this nation that hate God and hate his word and hate his church. There's no fear of God. And he said, I want you to come down, listen to this, that the nations may tremble at your presence. And you know, um, I tell you, friend, that it, it is the presence of God. It is the presence of God that is the only hope for America. I told you last week, I'm going to preach on is what America's only hope. And I'm telling you, this is the deepest conviction of my life. Only if God tears open the heavens and only if God himself comes and his awesome presence begins to fill the lives of his people and his awesome presence begins to fill the life of his church and the church becomes a powerful, powerful organism alive by the power of God. Only as the presence of God fills the people of God and the light begins to shine and comes out from under the bushel and the salt has its savor restored and begins to stop decay. You say, Brother Fred, are you telling me that America's only hope is for the presence of God? You heard me. That's exactly right. But, oh, you know, we've got to elect the right people. I'm not against that. I'm going to tell you, but listen to me. No man can save us. <laughs> I want you to hear me now. No man can save us. No Congress can deliver us. I am telling you, no army. Listen, somebody asked uh, Leonard Ravenhill, what is America's greatest threat? And he said, God. Have you ever thought about that? When we just spit in the face of God and America gets more wicked. Now, I know you're not there. And I know you hate but America gets more wicked and more wicked, and we go from one stupid, wicked thing to another stupid, wicked thing. And I say, is everybody insane? Do they not know what they're doing? I mean, we're having a big argument over who, which bathroom you use, you know, and all that stuff. And, and now we're making it possible if you get your sex change operation, you can get to be an army. 
You say, well, this is crazy, Brother Fred. Yeah, I know it. But wickedness is crazy. When sin runs its course, there is no fear of God in people's eyes. And so the only thing that can save it is, is for God to say, I've had enough, and to make himself known. And the way God makes himself known is through his church. But let me say this, and I hadn't planned on saying it, but I'm going to say it. You say, Brother Fred, uh, let me say this before I say this. God is not through with this nation. Now, I believe that. I'm, I'm telling you right now, he's not through with it. Oh, no, no, no. I am not a pessimist in the negative. God is not through with this nation. And he is going to restore the fear of God to this country one way or another. You know why? Because God's people are praying. I'm so excited that on July the 16th or somewhere, there are going to be a million people traveling from all over America to the mall in, 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 in Washington for one purpose, and that's to pray. We got 39 of our people that are going to get on a bus. Who wants to ride a bus for two days? Dear Jesus, help me. <laughs> but they're going to ride on the bus, and they're going to go out there, and I, I hope the air conditioning's working. But they, for a day, they, you know, they're going for one reason. They, they're going to pray for God to restore the presence of God to this nation. That's why they're going and glory to God. And guess what we're going to do? All of us can't go. And I don't want to ride a bus. All of us can't go. But I tell you what we can do. All day, the day that they're up there praying, we will have people praying every hour right here in, 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 the, in the sanctuary. Every hour, somebody's going to be praying, joining with them in prayer, that the fear of God would be restored to this nation and that the church of Jesus Christ would be revived and come alive because I tell you, the hope is not in the White House and it's not in the courthouse. It's in the house of the living God and God's people must come alive and the Spirit of God must fill the church and we must become a powerful church. If America has any hope. Now I believe that. You say, but Brother Fred, it's too bad. You mean it's bigger than God? <laughs> you mean to tell me that God's not able to handle the situation? You must be worshiping another God. No, nothing's too hard for God. He's the God of all flesh. And so I'm saying to you, I, I, Isaiah is the pattern for us. We've got to get desperate. We've got to get desperate when we pray. Lord God, tear open the heavens. Oh God, tear open the heavens. Oh God, come down. Shake the mountains. Let the nations tremble before you. Let, let, let your presence like fire consume the wickedness and ungodliness. Listen, we've got to understand that God. Now, I want to tell you something. As I read this passage, God was angry with his people. He was angry with Israel. Does God ever get angry? Oh, yeah. God's angry with this nation. He's angry with this nation. And by the way, I was going to tell you, there are three, way, three ways God judges a nation that sins against God. There are three ways. With the environment, he'll judge a nation. With the economy, he'll judge a nation. And with an enemy, he'll judge a nation. Have you ever noticed... We've always had tornadoes. We've always had floods. We've always had wildfires. But have you ever noticed? It seems like it just, we don't get through one until there's another and another. How many times did God judge Israel by the environment? 
How many times will the weather a judgment of God on a nation? You say, but Brother Fred, they're just and righteous people that are harmed. Yeah, I know. The rain falls on the just and unjust. But I'm telling you, one way God judges a nation is through the environment. But another way God judges a nation is through the economy. You know, America has been the most prosperous nation in the world. But now uh, uh, we've doubled the debt from $10 trillion to $20 trillion in eight years. And um, so we're, we're in serious trouble. And, and all i got to say is with the, uh, Europe coming out of the uh, European Nation Federation and all that stuff, we're living on shaky ground. We're living on shaky ground economically. And the judgment of God came in 2008 on our economy. And we just said, well, we'll keep on going. And we didn't respond. But God uses the environment. But God uses the economy. But you know what else God used? God uses the enemy. How many times did the Moabites and the Ammonites and the termites, wherever they were, how many times, how many times did they come against God's people? How many times did the Philistines just whip the fire out of Israel? Why? Because they were not following God. That's why. And so you say, well, I don't believe God's going to judge America. What planet are you on? He already is. Through the environment, through the economy, and through the enemy. Listen, I'd rather much be fighting a war over in Europe or somewhere where we, and we knew where the enemy was and where they were holding up and where we could go attack them than to know, not, never know where ISIS, what is the next airport after Paris and then after Turkey? Where's the next airport that they're going to blow up? Where's the next club the guy's going to come in and shoot 50, 50, 50 people? See, we, we, this, this is a war of terror, but I'm going to tell you something. We are at war. Do you understand that? Don't you know we are at war? And I'm telling you, it struck fear all across this world. So God, the judgment of God is present. And by the way, America used to kind of set a standard for other nations. Now we've passed England and Holland. We've passed them in wickedness. We've gone far beyond than any of them have gone. That's what breaks my heart. I, I mean, really, nothing makes American people blush anymore. Nothing. So I'm telling you, God gets angry with people. And that's exactly what had happened in Isaiah 64, I want you to listen to what it says, how that God was angry with them. In, in, uh, in, in, in chapter 64, verse 11, I want you to listen to what it says. Uh, Your holy and beautiful temple, where our fathers praised you, are burned with fire. But, but it's back up in verse 9. Was God angry with the people? Listen to what it says. Do not be furious, O Lord. Oh. He was furious. Do not be furious, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. God, don't don't remember all of our wickedness. Do not be furious, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Indeed, please, look, we we are all your people. They were. But God was furious with them. Also, not only in that verse, then it says that God was angry. It says in verse, uh, in verse 5, You meet with him who rejoices and does righteousness, who's remember you in your ways. But listen to this. Do you think God's angry with America? We are, you, and this is verse eight, verse 5, 
you are indeed angry. For we have sinned. You have indeed angry, for we have sinned. In these ways we continue, and we need to be saved. So Isaiah was praying, oh God, please come. Please come, Lord. Our only hope is in you, Jehovah. Come, shake the mountains, shake the mountains. Let your fire consume the iniquities. Let the people once again know the fear of God. Restore the fear of God to the land. Bring the fear of God back into your church and cause your church to be alive and powerful because God was angry. God was angry and Isaiah was not praying because he knew that only God could solve the situation and God was angry. He was angry with the people. You know, but, but you know, another reason uh, was because of their sin, verse 5 and verse 9. But they were not praying. They were not crying out to God. You know, the verse that really, I preach this message, not, not like I'm preaching it now in many places, maybe a hundred times, because it was called a heart cry for revival. But um, this is the verse that really I want to leave with you, and I want to challenge you as your pastor. So here, here's Isaiah saying, God, you're our only hope. Jesus, you've got to come and fill your church. You've got to come and empower your church. And by the way, you're the church. You're the church. So Jesus has got to come and fill you. Jesus has got to come and fill me. The Holy Spirit's going to have to come and take full control of us. The Holy Spirit's going to have to come and take full control of you. And we're going to have to get desperate. We're going to have to get desperate like Isaiah was. He saw what was going on in his nation, and he got desperate. And he began to cry out to God. And he began to cry out to God. He began to cry out to God. But you, if you'd look in uh, verse 7, th this is the thing that bothered me. Isaiah said, it's bad. It's bad. Humanism has failed. Materialism has failed. Lifeless religion is it's bad. And then he says in verse 7, there is no one who calls on your name. It's almost like Isaiah was amazed. He said, my Lord, we, we're going down the tube. But where's it? there's nobody praying. There's nobody crying out to God. He said, what's the problem? He said, there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. What would happen? If every person in this room, including the speaker, God, Spirit would stir us up. And we would take hold of God. And we would wrestle with God like Jacob wrestled with God. And he said, Lord, I'll not let you go until you bless me. What if each one of us would stir ourselves up and take hold of God and say, God, we will not stop praying. We will not start crying. We will not stop calling out to you until you come and the mountains shake at your presence until you come and your enemies, your adversaries see your majesty and power. We will not stop. We will not let go, O oh God, until you come and revive the church. Make me a holy, righteous, godly man, a holy, righteous, godly woman. Set me on fire for you. Let me pray and plead for this nation. Let me be light. Let me be salt. Give me a holy boldness to say, thus saith the Lord. Listen, 
I'm telling you, you asking me, Brother Fred, is there anything you can do? I guarantee you, you can stir yourself up to take hold of God. That's what you can do. You can allow the Spirit of God to get a hold of you, and you can get desperate like Isaiah did, and you'll say, oh, God. I'm looking around me at my neighbors. I'm looking at my kids. I'm looking at the future of my grandchildren. And, oh, God, I'm not selfish in this prayer. But for your honor, for your honor and for your glory, Lord, and for the honor of your son, would you just come down, Lord, and let the nations tremble in your presence? Would you just come down, Lord, and fill your church with supernatural power that only can be explained as God? Would you cause the light of the church to burn brighter than it's ever burned? And would you cause the salt of the church to be more salty than it has ever been? Please listen to me, y'all. Please listen to me. I'm 78 years old. Be 79 in December. I don't know how long I got, but I do know this. I want to see God do something in this nation that only God can do before we get out of here. I believe that now. And we got to pray and we got to cry out to God. We've got to do it. Listen, there's no other answer, y'all. You say, well, we'll get a stronger military. That ain't going to do it. I want a stronger military. We'll get a, a president that loves America. I want that. But that ain't, listen, we are, the only one that can help us is God. It, we've gone too far. I mean, we are too far down the road for any man to lead us back. And that is a good place to be. We stop looking to men and we say, Lord, It's time for you to tear open the heavens. It's time for you to come down. It's time for you to fill me with your presence. It's time for you to stir me up to get desperate and pray until I see the answer come. So God, it's time. Because God, I know you're angry with your people. I know you're angry, Lord. But, but, but Isaiah knew that, that humanism and all that had failed. But you know what? Isaiah said something in this that gave me hope. He remembered what God had done in the past. Now, I want you to look at chapter 64, verse 3 and 4. Now, now this will encourage you. He was crying out for God to come. Come, Lord, like fire, like shaking the mountains. And, And then he said, but listen, Lord, I remember. I remember something. He said in verse 3. When you did awesome things. Wow, God's not dead. Hallelujah. You did awesome things for which we did not look. You did more than we could even think. You did awesome things for which we did not look. You came down, Lord. He said, I remember when you came down. And you shook and the mountains shook at your presence. He said, God, I remember. You came. Your presence came. You did more than we ever expected you to do. The mountain shook at your presence. Because he goes on and says in verse 4, now listen to this. It says, from the beginning of the world, you get this. Men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, nor has has, has the eye seen any God beside you, who acts for the one who waits for him. Now listen to what he said. You know, God, since the beginning of time, you're the only God because you're the only God. You're the only true and living God. You're the only God.
who has responded to your people when they cried out. Listen to what he says. Since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait for you who live in Isaiah 64, 1 through 3. said, you're the only God that can do it. Okay. So he, he reminded of what God had done in the past. Well, and so the only hope that we have is for the, a powerful church. You and me, full of the Holy Spirit. You and me, surrendered to Jesus. You and me, not letting our light be put under a bushel. You and me, let, not letting our salt lose its, its savor. By, by the Holy Spirit, let's just be in godly people, being God's people, full of God, full of the Holy Spirit, realizing that God's our only hope and crying for God to come down. You know, we've been, we've been trying to knock some mountains down for a long time. Do you know that? Man, we've, we've been crying out against the, the mountain of lifeless religion. It hadn't come down. We've been crying out against every form of sexual, uh, every form of sexual perversion. We've been crying about that mountain, but it hadn't come down. We've been crying about the mountain of abortion. Last year, there were 445,000 people killed with guns. There were 500,000 babies killed in a mother's womb. I don't hear anything about that. All I hear about is guns. What about the 500,000 who never had a chance to take a breath? You know, I remember what Isaiah said, when I was in my mother's womb, you formed me. And you had, before I ever came into existence, you had a plan and a thought for me. But I guess he'd have to go and say, but somebody murdered me before I ever had a chance to be what you wanted me to be. We've cried out and the mountain of abortion hadn't come down. The mountain of sorcery, drug use hadn't come down. The mountain of uh, marriage, which is under attack, fatherless homes, same-sex marriage, those mountains hadn't come down. Uh, the mountain of corrupt government. I, I think we've been looking to the wrong place. We've been saying somebody's got to do something. And so if we can get this right people on the Supreme Court, and I pray to God we will, and if we can get the right people in the House and the, and the Senate, and, and we'll be, uh, those things will come down. Forget it. Forget it. I want to say something to you. The mountains I just talked to you about will never come down unless God brings them down. But God can bring them down. So when are we going to quit being unfull of unbelief and say, Lord, God, absolutely stop the murder of 500,000 children. God, absolutely stop the sexual perversion that is a stench in your nostrils. God Almighty, do whatever you have to do to re restore the fear of God to our government. Listen, we, we've, we've got to focus in on God and we've got to pray and pray and then we've got to pray and then we've got to pray and we've got to believe God and we've got to say, God, we refuse to live and die and not see this nation come back to God. And the only way it'll come back to you is if you come down and shake the mountains. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Well, I want to show you the last thing. Isaiah talked about the problem, lifeless religion, humanism, materialism in Israel. He prayed, oh, God, come down. 
He knew God was angry with him. He knew God was angry with him. And he said, oh, God, you've done awesome things in the past. God, have mercy and come and visit us, Lord. Come and shake, shake, let the fire consume. He, He knew that. And he knew that God could move mountains. He knew that God could do it. He did. That's why he said, Lord, shake that mountain. Shake it, Lord. Let, let, let the mountain tremble and your adversaries know that you're God. But he gave the key. I want you to look at it. And, uh, and it's in chapter 64, verses 8 and 9. In the midst of all of this, his desperate cry for God to come. And that is our desperate cry. His desperate cry for God to come. In the, in the sighting of all the problems they had, he said, but Lord, I know what the answer is. And he goes over in verse 8. And listen to what he says. But now, O Lord. Now he's changing this. He says, I've been, but, but now. He said, I'm changing my direction, Lord. I'm, ch- I'm going in another direction, Lord. But now, O Lord, you're our father. Well, that's something for him to say. God, you're our father. Okay? We are the clay. And you are the potter. God, you're our father. And as a nation and as individuals, we're like clay in your hand, oh God. You are our father and we are the clay and you are the potter. We're all the work of your hand. God, our life came from you. Every blessing we have came from you. Who we are was the work of the potter molding us as the clay. He said, so God, the only thing we know to do is say this, Lord, that we just come realizing that you're our Father, and so we surrender. We surrender. We surrender, Lord. We we, we just want to be clay in your hand, And, and we want you to make us and mold us into the people you want us to be. So, Lord, in, in surrender to you and to your sovereign hand, we ask you, oh God, to tear open the heavens and come down. We come to you in surrender and we come to you in repentance. In surrender and repentance. Lord, don't be furious with us. And you know at the last part of that cha- thing, he says, God, I, I want to ask you, are you going to spare us? I want you to look at verse uh, uh, 12. I want you to listen to this. He asked a question. And I'm asking this question. Will you restrain yourself because of these things, O Lord? God, are you just going to drop the hammer on us? Or will you restrain yourself? Will you hold back your wrath even more than it is? Will you do that? He's asking, Lord, will you restrain yourself because of these? Will you hold your peace? God, will you just say truth right now? Will you hold your peace? And not and and, and afflict, will you hold your peace and afflict us very severely, or will you just not? Will you hold that back, Lord? Don't afflict us. You know, um, anybody that's in this room. That's 60 years of age or older. 
and also maybe 50, you have seen a nation that once exalted God, put on its money in God we trust. We were really proud for the freedom and thankful for what God, God had blessed us. And many people, many of the houses of God, the word of God was preached with power and authority. We saw, there was a different day. It was a different day back in the 40s and 50s, even the 60s. But now it's just like we've on a jet plane going as fast as we can in the wrong direction. And so I'm not going to be frustrated. I'm not going to wring my hands. I'm not going to say, God, there's no use. Because I said earlier, I don't believe God is through with this country. I don't believe that. I know he's not through with his church. I know he's going to make his church a powerful. Let me tell you about the church. When the church was born in the book of Acts, Rome was as wicked or more wicked than America is. They were not born into a culture that was friendly to Christians. Every one of them died as a martyr. Oh, no. You need to understand. The church does not prosper when it's, po- it's popular. The church prospers when it's persecuted. And that day is rapidly already here, already here, already here. Those people that are living godly in Christ Jesus right now are suffering persecution. Some of you in your office, they try to bridle you. People that work in the public school system, they try to bridle you. Hey, 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 listen. You know, we have watched a complete transformation in our culture in the last 50 years. And it's going so fast now that we're saying, well, God, unless you do something and you do it quick, we're not going to make it. But I'm here to say to you, if you live in Isaiah 64, 1 through 3, and if you will be the man or woman that stirs yourself up to take hold of God and will not let go until God comes and revival sweeps the church and then sweeps the nation and the fear of God is restored. And by the way, it wouldn't take but one calamity. wouldn't take but one environmental or economic or enemies. It wouldn't take but one just to absolutely shake this nation. We thought the nation would turn back to God at 9-11, and it did for about two days. But I'm telling you, let's don't stop crying out to God till he comes. Amen? Let's keep crying out to God. Let's intensify 